So how many of you are still in a food coma? How many of you survived Black Friday? Any bumps, bruises? I tell you what, it's pretty tame, isn't it? Seems like it's gotten more tame uh, as they've kind of perfected it. You know, these places like, man, they, they figured out how to get you in lines and, and get you to the right place. And I remember like uh, 10 years ago, it was like a free-for-all. It truly was. So they figured that out. And my wife, this happens to be our uh, Thanksgiving in West Virginia. It's one year it's Christmas, one year it's Thanksgiving kind of deal. And so they, uh, her and her mom and her sisters, they always, they, uh, they had shirts made this year, right? Like they are like Black Friday squad. And um, I actually went out a little bit, but they didn't make me a shirt. I'm a little disappointed about that, but uh, it's great to see you. I hope you had a great week, and uh, just uh, love having you here this morning. Um, when you hear the words praise, when you hear the words thanks, when you hear the words joy, you automatically know, man, that's something that is said a lot of times in scriptures. You, those are common words, right? Common themes, common ideas uh, from the word of God. And so often it's easy for us to kind of fall into this thinking where I ought to praise God, I ought to give thanks, I ought to be joyful, and all of those things, absolutely the scriptures call us to those things. In fact, it does more than just call us. Many times, or there are times through scripture where it's written in an imperative form. It's a command. You should praise. You should give thanks. Remember, Paul said, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So yeah, when we think of those words and we think that that should be a part of our life, you're right. The scriptures present the life of a Christian where these things are absolutely a part of that. I think so often we just stop there and we think this is what I ought to do, I should, and we live in this world of ought. And yet, the reason behind these things is so incredibly valid and needed for us to understand because really, God calls us to be praiseful people, thankful people, joyous people, for his glory, yes, but it's for our good. These things are in our lives to, to enable us to live lives that um, he always intended for us to have. It's something as simple as like praise. And this is just the one thing I want you, I hope you remember from that sermon was praise is our confession that God has this. God calls us to praise him, absolutely he's worthy. How can you not when you see who he is? The only response is, wow. But yet, he calls us to praise him, not because he's on some kind of ego trip. He calls us because it only makes sense, and also, it enables us to remember and to fixate on what is true and what is right. And it actually is a way that when we praise him, regardless if it's good, bad, or ugly, indifferent, 
whatever, our praise is our confession that we always believe that God is in control. God has this. And what that does in our lives is as we do this and as we allow this to be a habit of our lives, as it becomes who we are, as praiseful, we always are reminded, we always keep right in front of us that God's in control. God has this. It's my confession of faith. And what happens is we praise, our faith increases, our trust increases, our dependence increases, and we live lives that truly are him as father and us as children. Praise is enacted in our lives for our good because it increases our faith and trust in him. It's a declaration, it's a confession that God has this. Giving thanks, being grateful. Absolutely, God has done beyond what we can even comprehend for us. But you know what? In the giving of thanks, in this taking moments and creating a lifestyle of being grateful what happens is when that happens we just deepen our connection to him we deepen our connection to him and today I just want to consider that little three little word joy Uh, you'll see it a lot in the coming weeks right it'll be in songs we'll sing It'll probably be on in somebody's yard, right? Joy. Everybody knows what that, you know, joy, this simple little word, joy. You know, I was thinking about this sermon and something came to my mind and I thought I'd just show that and we start talking about joy. You can't help, but uh, so just uh, show that little video. It's just 45 seconds, right? That piece just keeps going, honestly. I cut the thing in half, like, figured it'd be a little awkward for us just for a minute and a half. You know, and if you're having a rough day today, or just go to YouTube and type in babies laughing. And there's all sorts of, they're, they're incredible. Because you know what? When we think about joy, I think one of the, the best pictures, images for us are our kids. They just show pure joy, don't they? I mean, just they're innocent. Their, their life has not been, um, it hasn't been messed up yet by um, fear or um, anxiety or they, they just, mom and dad take care of me. And they are just joy personified, right? Some of you are like, yeah, you, didn't, you weren't with me last night at three in the morning <laughs> when they were hungry. Do you know what I mean? Joy. Joy, there's something that is so, that's, that's joy. 
A dog eating popcorn just brings out the, the laughter of this baby that's at joy, that has joy. When I tackle this subject, I kind of like to, here's some words that we think about, I think that can be associated with joy. It's a sense of, of well-being. A sense of well-being. It is both a state of mind and it is a combination of emotions. Joy is, it includes an emotional side to it, but it is beyond an emotional side. It's, uh, it's words like contentment, confidence, hope, delight, satisfaction that come about when we think about this word joy. Now, I, uh, I think about this, I, I start to, so what about happiness? Is happiness the same as joy? When I say joy, do I mean happy? When I say happy, do I mean joy? The Bible says absolutely zero about happiness, really. Talks about joy, is it the same thing? So I've spent some of my week like watching these Harvard-type psychologists talk about, and I actually intentionally didn't refer to Christian people uh, uh, because I want to just, what, 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 what are we saying about happiness? And I would remind you of this. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction and delight based upon some present circumstance. Happiness is related to happenings. Happiness is related to happenstance. The word ha at the beginning, H-A-P, hap, is a word that basically carries with it or conveys the idea of chance. And when the scriptures talk about joy, they are not talking about happiness. All of humanity experiences happiness at some point or another, right? Happy because my circumstances are good, I'm happy. Because this worked out, I'm happy. I, I, in all this kind of, this little research I did, I, I came across this. Studies have found that acquiring money, educated, this is not a Christian thing, all right? Studies have found that acquiring money, education, a big house, expensive car, do not affect happiness levels as much as we would like or might expect. Some of you are like, amen. I realize that, Chip. I experienced that. I was looking for that to make me happy. Many different types of researchers have studied those who have won the lottery and have found year after year that people who have won are no more happier than those who did not have that experience. This phenomenon is called hedonistic adaptation and suggests that everyone has a baseline level of, a, of the happiness emotion. The effects of happiness are temporary and people tend to revert to their baseline level after they've received something external or materialistic in nature. <clears throat> These baseline levels of happiness vary. They're attributed to genetics, <laughs> right? You already know that. Like, some of you are just born grumpy. Some of you are just born happy. 
You know, like, well, Ben, I don't know where he's at, but if you ever go on a trip with Ben and you, like, you know, like, you stay in the same hotel room, I'm telling you, 6 a.m. in the morning, Ben wakes up and he's, like, whistling already. He's like that guy off of the Lego movie, you know. He's like, you know, good morning, flowers. Good morning, clock. Good morning, you know. Me, on the other hand, I am not. So we don't stay in the same room ever again. But, <laughs> no. So it, it is genetics, but we all find ourselves at a baseline level of happiness, wherever that is. Some it's more, some it's less. And when good things happen, we peak, but we always tend to come back to that level. Now listen to this. Again, not Christian, didn't go, not, you know, red meat here. However, there are techniques and behaviors that people can practice to increase their baseline level of happiness. And attitudes can be adjusted. And I'm sitting there thinking, amen, brother. You know, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know how that can happen. You don't have to live. This is my level, and I can maybe move my level up, and I have something good happens to me. I'm happy. I'm coming back to that. You know what? The scriptures present a whole different alternative, and it's called joy. It's called joy. You see, happiness is external. It's circumstantial. It's chance. Joy is internal. It's Christ-centered. It's choice. I would define it like this. Or, I mean, uh, joy, to be understood in the biblical sense, has to be understood only in relation to God. Um, 74 times in the New Testament, there's the verb to rejoice. 59 times, there's the noun joy. So well over 100 times this idea is is fleshed out in the New Testament. Something absolutely they're communicating to us. God is wanting us to understand and grab a hold of. Look, listen, even in the coming of Jesus to earth, the big deal, what we're about ready to celebrate for weeks in, in, uh, in the nativity. What is uh, on that hillside as shepherds are in fear and the angels are appearing and they're declaring this great event. What is it the angel says to them? He says this, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy. You see, the gospel, Jesus, this whole deal is about bringing joy into our lives. It's Paul who in Romans says this, you want to understand what life, you know, reduce it down. Here's what you need to know. He says this, the kingdom of God, which is, all, is what Jesus called us all to be a part of, to pursue, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not tied up in physical, but it is Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what you desire, we desire more than anything else, are those things. You know, you read the book of Acts as the church is starting and believers, the followers of Jesus are experiencing this new life after Pentecost. And I, I just grabbed one verse of what could be said often in the book of Acts 
It says this, Acts chapter 13 says, and the disciples were filled with joy. So it's what, he, it's what he was all about when he came. Good news, great joy. The kingdom that he proclaimed was righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. His followers, as they experienced the promise of the Holy Spirit, uh, are filled with joy. They're just always joyful, joyful, joyful. And so it's obvious that God is communicating to us that joy, this little word, is absolutely an essential part of our lives. That's what he calls us to. And I would define it like this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of my life and that Christ is enough. The strong confidence that Christ is enough. See, settled assurance and strong confidence. When these things are at play, because joy, it's, it is emotional in part, but it is emotional based off of a truth. And the truth is I have this settled assurance and strong confidence. And when that happens, absolutely it creates positive, happy, joyous emotion. But it's based on this reality. God's in control and Christ is enough. That's what creates joy. Before I move into how, do, how does this work, I just want to remind you that there are joy robbers in all of our lives. There are things that will suck the joy right out of your life faster than anything. And I just want to remind you of at least four one is unconfessed sin. I was thinking about this, writing this, putting this down, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, is remembering King David. You remember his life, um, he, uh, he has an affair, right? Um, he takes a woman that's not his wife. In fact, she's somebody else's wife. And he realizes, oh, you know, what have I done? And he was in a position to do something about it. And so he, he, he is complicit. In fact, he is responsible for then making her husband go fight on the front lines in the war there and in the battle there. Knowing full well that if I put him in this center position, his odds of dying are great. And sure enough, Uriah dies. And David is now facing the biggest thing in his life where he, is, he has been unfaithful. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. The scriptures call him a murderer. You did that on purpose. You were in the position. And you know what? David did nothing about this for about a year until finally the prophet Nathan confronted him he told him a little story and made him really angry about injustice and somebody mistreating somebody and the prophet pointed him and said David that's who you are that's exactly who you are and David realizes but you you can read in Psalm 32 Psalm 51 when David talks about that year of unconfessed sin he said he lost his joy he had no joy in fact, he said he was so miserable that he actually felt it in his bones. It was so deep, this anguish, this, 
He lost his joy. And I'll tell you right now, unconfessed sin will rob your joy faster than anything else. Unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. <laughs> you're like, absolutely. I know what that is. I know what you're talking about. Man, it robs joy really fast, doesn't it? Scriptures just remind us that in conflict, we are simply responsible to do our best to resolve it, to bring reconciliation. We can't make reconciliation happen. It takes two to reconcile. But we are called to do our best. And what that means is if I'm in conflict with somebody, then I go to them and try to make it right. And then if they don't want to, then I've done my part. But unresolved, festering, you know what that is, right? It robs joy so fast. Unbalanced schedule. We were created to live a life of balance. And listen, joy is robbed very quickly when we are overworked or when we're underworked, when we are too much output, not enough input, or too much input, not enough expression, output of it. We were created to take in, but at the same point, to give out. And if we're taking in and not giving out, you will not have joy because you're not experiencing the life of service that you were created to do. You're created to give. If you're giving <laughs> and you're not taking in, it robs joy really fast, doesn't it? Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I know exactly what it is. Give, 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 and never receive. Unbalanced schedule robs joy. Undernourished spirit, undernourished spirit. We all desperately need the presence of God in our life on a consistent basis. We need the voice of God in our life speaking to us. And when we don't make room for that, space for that, when we don't uh, practice these uh, habits that put us in a position to hear from him, to allow our spirit to be filled and, and nourished, Boy, joy absolutely will seep and leak out of our lives. Just want to remind you of those joy, joy robbers that all of us will be uh, absolutely prone to in our lives. But I want to simply remind you of this when it comes to joy. How do I have joy? What do I need to understand? Well, it's in these four, four simple things. One, embrace joy as a gift from God. This might be the most important thing I tell you today. Embrace joy as a gift from God. You know, when I talk about praise, talk about thanks, talk about joy, I'm, I'm always in the back of my mind, I think people are halfway expecting me to tell them they need to be more of this. They need to do more of this. They need to do this, this, and this. And I would remind you that in this matter of joy, you and I are not able to be joyful. Did you get that? You and I are not able to be joyful. Listen to Galatians chapter five when he talks about the fruits of the spirit. The spirit comes into my life and this is what happens because the spirit is in my life. Love, joy, peace. Joy. There is no joy outside of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Oh, I'm happy. I feel good. Well, great. You're happy. All of humanity feels happy. Joy is a spiritual, supernatural act that only God gives and only God brings. So guess what this morning? I'm not telling you that you need to grit your teeth or figure something out and manufacture some joy in your life. You're supposed to be joyful. He says you are. Well, now go figure out how you can make yourself joyful. I'll tell you, it's a gift from God that comes only through the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember what Romans says? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy in what? In the Holy Spirit. The word joy is the word chara. It's very similar to the word for grace, which is charish. They're, they're similar. They're cousins. They're in the same ballpark. Both are a gracious gift from God. Embrace the, rea- the, the, the reality that I cannot make myself joyful. You know what, for me, that, that, that goes a long way. Because I've tried to do that before. And I can make myself happy for a couple days and then it all leaks out, right? <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Just, just kill that person. I meant that facetiously, no one. We're online here and everyone, I'm gonna get a clip here. You know what I mean? They frustrate me so bad. I can't do it. I don't have to do it. I simply need to open my heart to the Holy Spirit. I need to cultivate my relationship with the Holy Spirit. He enables me to have joy. It's not something I earn, it's something he gives. That's so powerful today. Embrace joy as a gift from God. What else do I want to say about that? I know there's something else I want to say. Oh, it's St. Augustine that said this. Command of, of God, command what you will and grant what you command. What he's saying is, God, you have the right call me to anything but God you're the one who not only calls me to be joyful but then enables me to be joyful it's like John Wesley said God's commands are always God's promises because God would never ask us to do something that he could not enable us to do or experience that's the kind of gracious God we have who calls us to a life for his glory, for our good, but then he gives us the Holy Spirit to bring about joy in our lives. Amen? All right. We awake alive? If you look at me just a little bit longer, I'll go really fast. Second thing, joy is not contingent on circumstances. Joy is not contingent on circumstance. Happiness is contingent on my circumstance. Joy given by the Holy Spirit lives above circumstances. Remember James chapter one? Consider it pure joy, pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind. Really? What? First Peter, same kind of theme, different people. Peter says this, in this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Scriptures present something that is so much better than the world dynamic, that it goes with how things are going. Joy is constant regardless of good, bad, or ugly. Joy exists in the middle of my circumstances. It's not contingent on my circumstance. The third thing is this. How do I have joy? I commit to the reality that joy comes through obedience to Christ. Joy comes through obedience to Christ. Listen to this. Jesus' last things he's talking about. He says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that what? Your joy may be complete. How do I have joy? I commit to obedience to Jesus. I'm telling you this works. Because what Jesus calls us to is a countercultural lifestyle. And there's so many times you're thinking, ah, man, you know what? That's gonna be hard if I follow Jesus' words there. That's gonna be different than around me. And maybe even sometimes the call of following Jesus and loving and giving and sacrificial and, and it's like, how is that going to make me happy? How is that going to bring joy to my life? And then you actually do it. You experience it. You serve somebody that doesn't deserve it. You put yourself out for somebody and you're thinking, I'd rather be doing this. This is not gonna be joyful for me. And then I actually do it and in the middle of it, I'm thinking, I have never been happier. I, I know what it is to have lived the, the Jesus life and to experience that. He says, if you'll follow my words, my commands, my teaching, your joy will be made complete. Joy comes through following Jesus' teaching and words, committing to that. The fourth thing is this. How do I have joy? I believe, I believe that joy will be yours, will be mine, because God will come through. You know, James said, continue, I, I, I talked about it not contingent on circumstances. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials. But this is what he continues to say. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when, produce, when perseverance has finished its work, you are going to then be mature and complete not lacking anything. You know, the way scriptures present it is, you know, joy is not contingent on our circumstances. Joy actually thrives in all of our circumstances, especially in tough circumstances. And I can believe that joy 
is in all of this process and that when I come out the other side, even in a hardship, that God is doing something that is completing me, that is building me, that is changing me, that is making me something that I wasn't here and it brings greater joy. Listen to 1 Peter. I told you that he said you greatly rejoiced when you went through these trials, but he keeps writing when he says this, there, th these have come, these trials have come to prove the genuineness of your faith. Your faith, it's, it's worth more than gold. Um, gold perishes. It's, it's even, it's refined by fire, but it perishes. Your faith is greater than that. And this results in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And because of that, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith that is the salvation of your souls. It's the psalmist who says this. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Joy comes, how do I have it? Well, I embrace that I can't make it up. I can't manufacture it. I can't work hard enough to be joyful. It comes graciously through the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I realize that it's not going anywhere. It's not contingent on my circumstances. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, if things start to go bad, I'm not gonna lose it. I'm not gonna, it, it's not contingent. I realize that it actually is completed as I follow Jesus' words and his teachings. It's this whole deal of man, as I follow him, I'm just, I'm, I'm joyful. I mean, I find joy in what he teaches and the life he has for me and how he's taught me to live. There's just joy in that because it makes sense and I see myself uh, growing as a person and, and, and able to live out the purpose I have for my life and I matter and I mean something, I have significance and I'm able to uh, help people around me and change this world and there's just joy in that as I follow and I have joy because I believe that God always is gonna come through. He's never failed, always faithful. And so there's just joy in that. You know, it's Nehemiah that shared this little idea. He said, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength, is your strength. And you know, this idea Joy is a settled assurance and a strong confidence. God's in control, Christ is enough. When I embrace that, the Holy Spirit's in my life, bringing joy into my life, I begin to realize that the joy that I have from him is what keeps me strong day in and day out. It keeps me solid, it keeps me stable. It's what I just, you know, maybe emotionally I get a little bit up and down. <laughs> You've never watched an Iowa game with me, so you don't know what that means. But <laughs> A lot up and down, you know. Emotionally, I kind of bounce around and, yeah, stinks when uh, this happens. Somebody hurts me, and I feel that emotionally, and it, it grieves me. But yet, 
that having that baseline of the joy of the Lord, of being connected to him, of his Holy Spirit in my life, keeps me solid and stable, even though I, my emotions might go up and down. I'm solid because the joy of the Lord, what that really is resting on is he's in control and he's enough. And I know that and I have this, this, this strong, I have this strong confidence and this settled assurance in my life that, hey, it's okay, I'm okay. And that creates positive emotions, that creates a stable, it's the joy of the Lord that becomes our strength. I would just share this little picture with you this, this evening, uh, before we go. Imagine you have two women of the same age, the same eco-socioeconomic status, same education level, even the same temperament. And you desire, you decide you want to hire both of them. And you say to each of them, your job is to be part of an assembly line. I want you to put part A with part B and then hand it over to the next person in the line. I want you to do that over and over for eight hours a day. Anybody like, yeah, I know what that is. Now you put them in the same environment, identical rooms, identical lighting, temperature, ventilation. It's the same, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's the same for both of them. You give them the same number of breaks in a day. It's very boring work. The conditions are the same in every way except for one difference. You tell the first woman that at the end of the year, you'll pay her, by the end of the year, you will have paid her $30,000 for that year to do that work. You, pay, you tell the second woman though that you will pay her $30 million to do, this, to do the work. After a couple of weeks, inevitably, the first woman will be saying things like, isn't this tedious? Isn't this driving you insane? Aren't you thinking about quitting? And the second woman will respond this way, no. This is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I whistle while I'm at work. Part A, part B, part A, part B. What is going on? You have two human beings who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. What makes the difference? It's their expectation of what the future holds for them. We are, we are absolutely hope-based creatures. And knowing that, hey, $30 million affects their present reality. And I'm telling you today, <laughs> we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's who we are as his children. He just wants us to grab a hold of what that means. Because our future, what he's promised even, even in this life, the promises he gives, but definitely what is to come should create the kind of attitude we have in the present. Amen? And that is joy. It's the settled assurance, God.
God is in control and the strong conviction that Christ is enough. And so I would say with joy, this is the perspective shift. It's this. Joy is our stabler in all circumstances of life. That's what joy is doing for us. Sure, it's a reflection for him. I mean, you know, honestly, if my kids and my wife were always unhappy and they were grouchy and grumpy and every time you saw them, they were like, you would begin to think, what in the world is going on at that house? What kind of environment does he enable or create or be a part of, right? You'd begin to think, what is going on there? They're never happy. His wife looks like she's like, you know, it's on a lemon all week or something. You know, it's just like, what is going on? The kids are unhappy and they're discontent and whatever. You'd begin to be a reflection on me. It's the same with the Lord. <laughs> when his children are, you know, sour, or grumpy, or irritable, it's a reflection on him. Absolutely, he calls us to be joyful because when we have this posture and we have this joy in our life it proclaims his goodness it shows the world wow good bad ugly they're just they just have this baseline of joy what is going on with that that it's incredible but actually he gives us joy to be our strength our stabilizer in all circumstances and situations of life his glory but our good That's why he calls us to be joyful. Father, go with us. Help us to embrace joy and realize we can't make ourselves joyful. So Lord, that should just challenge us to cultivate our relationship with you. Open our hearts to you. Lord, you've given us this joy. It proclaims your goodness, but it's it's really our benefit who stabilizes us. We have this settled assurance and strong conviction. You're in control and you're enough. Out of that, we are joyful people. Yes, that creates positive and happy emotions, but it's something that lives even above emotion. Even when it's bad, we can have this deep, settled joy this sense of well-being. I'm God's child. He has me, and Christ is enough for whatever I'm in. So Lord, deepen this in each one of our lives for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.